In Jeremiah chapter 18, please. We looked last week at the potter and the clay, part one of his more very gospel-orientated, um, very uh, singular, uh, personal. And tonight we will also look at things like that, but we are going to look a little more at a national aspect, uh, a little bit of prophecy. I'm going to show you how the Lord spoke into the nation. And we can look at it in our own nation tonight. Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning to read at verse 1. And keep your Bible open at this chapter, for we will look at it. The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said, I would benefit them. Let's pray. Father, take us for a few moments to the potter's house and speak unto us through your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would take each and every heart tonight and, Lord, teach us things according to thy word. But speak to us, encourage us, convict hearts. Lord, as you seem and deem it fit to do, then would you do it, Lord? And if there's one that's come in tonight, Lord, maybe they're not saved, we pray, Lord, that they would come to saving knowledge of Christ. Maybe fallen away and backsliding, slidden, Lord, we pray that you'd call them back again. And Father, we bring our nation to you. Father, would you, in wrath, remember mercy. And Lord, would you turn our people again away from their sin and back to the God of our fathers. Glorify the name which is above every other name through my clay, fallible lips. I pray, O God, that you would glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your one and only begotten Son. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And so, Father, we ask it in his name. Amen. The potter and the clay, really part two, just. Last week, we looked at how, we looked at the sovereignty of the potter. The sovereignty of the potter. And unfortunately, in many church circles today, when we speak of the sovereignty of God, God is sovereign to them. And then when they don't want them to be sovereign, he isn't sovereign anymore. It's like that in the world. They want God to be in everything until they don't want him to be in anything. And then they wonder where he is. God is sovereign whether we deem him sovereign or not. He is always God. Whether we believe in him 
or whether we don't believe in him, does not diminish who he is. He is the sovereign Lord God Almighty. Regardless of what we think, regardless of how we act, he's always sovereign. He is the potter and we are the clay. Last week we looked at Isaiah 64 and verse 8. Listen to what it says. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art our potter, and we all are the work of thine hand. Now here we looked at the the prophet Isaiah also in uh, chapter 64 when he says in verse 1, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. Because of the state of the nation of Israel, because of the way they have uh, reacted to the things of God and the sin that's come into the land and everything was just against God. God had sent prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Hosea, especially to the northern kingdom of Israel and then other prophets, Isaiah coming into Jeremiah and so on to the southern house or kingdom of Israel. And none of them seemed to be listening, but the house of Israel had went away captive first because God had warned them and warned them that their judgment was coming and they wouldn't turn to the Lord and so judgment came upon them. And they were carried away captive, never returned as a nation again and through time scattered. Notice this in our reading tonight, Jeremiah chapter 18. The Lord says, go down to the potter's house. Last week we looked at the potter's work. We are all the work of thy hand. Tonight, first of all, we want to look in the Lord's will and with the Lord's help at the potter's house. You'll hear the words at the potter's house. What does he mean? So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and we're told in verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. So here is the wheel is turning. The clay is on the wheel. The potter, the sovereign, is molding and making the clay to what he wants it to become. It's not what what the clay desires. The clay's dead. The clay is dead. It's being brought to life and fashion and form through the potter's hands and the water he applies and the making and the turning of the wheel. Now notice this. Verse 4. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So there's the molding and then there's the marring. The molding and then the marring. Now we know that most people, and we can do it at a personal level where, you know, God molds us, makes us beautifully sung and played by Rebecca and Sarah just before this. The potter's hand, the potter molding us and making us, and we can all apply that in that sense. But the, the actual primary sense of Jeremiah 18 is not about even personal pottery. It's national. It's national. And how do we know? For he tells us in verse 6, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. That was the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're away 100 years by now. Taken captive by kings from Assyria. Shalmaneser and Sennacherib come and they take them away captive and take away the northern city which was their capital city of Samaria and off they go, taken away, never to return. What happens? You see, they became marred. They became marred. So the molding 
for a second. It's on the wheel. The Lord gets the man, Abraham, on the wheel. He calls him out of the air of the Chaldees. Tells him that he's to be a separate people. And says, I prophesy over you, as it were, I have a a great uh, destiny for you. And he prophesies over him and he says to Abraham, or Abraham as he becomes known, I have made thee already. He hasn't had a son yet. He's a hundred years of age. I have made thee a father of many nations. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't got one child. And Abraham by faith had to take the word of the Lord. And it was that faith believing God and his word that made Abraham or deemed Abraham to be righteous. Just like in you and I, we are to take the word of the Lord, what Christ has done on the cross, the shedding of his blood, the paying of our debt, taking our sin upon his own body or in his own body on the tree and burying it away, going to the grave, rising again the third day, send it into heaven and he is interceding at the right hand of the Father. Now we believe it by faith and that's counted unto us as righteous. Abraham's faith, he was counted as righteous because he Believed God. Now notice this. He starts to mold. The Lord, the potter, starts in sovereignty to mold his election. He starts to mold a man, Abraham. He starts to form that which he had spoken as he turns, as it were, the wheel. Isaac comes. Jacob comes. Twelve sons come. And then, of course, the 12 sons become 12 tribes. They become from tribal factions and a family to a nation. And how do they become a nation? They have law. They have religion. And they're all of same stock. So they become a nation before God. And then, of course, we read in the Bible that they don't want to be a nation anymore They want to be a kingdom because they want to be like all the other nations around the world for God is their king. Now they're rejecting him to want a man to rule over them. So starts, as it were, the declension of the pottery. Notice, we're told in the days of Judges uh, and the Joshua and the Judges, we're told that he gave them prophets and he gave them judges. It was like two hands of Jehovah or Yahweh in the pottery, turning the wheel. The prophets prophesying in spiritual fashion. The judges ruling over the law. And these judges and these prophets are like the hands of the Lord with the spirit of the Lord through these people, turning it, the pottery or the clay on the wheel, starting to fashion it, starting to mold it, starting to make it, and they're forming into a nation under God. And then they want the king. God grants to them that they would have a king. But this time they have national law. They have dietary law. God even tells them how to farm their fields for the best produce. God tells them what to do to keep them in health. What to eat and what what to not eat. And he goes on and the Lord tells them of their form of worship. He gives them moral standards, codes of conduct, man with man and man toward God. The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, the first four, are vertical between God and man. The first four commandments between God and man. And the next six are between man and man before God. 
God is saying here, I'm forming the pottery. And of course, the kings, they start to uh, bring in other gods. Starts to be marred. And the clay starts to buckle, as it were, in the hand of the potter. The judges are done away with and the prophets are in the land. And then suddenly that buckling starts to come of the clay. Notice, the kingdom separates the 12 tribes into two kingdoms, north and south. The northern kingdom of Israel becomes known as the house of Israel, or Samaria it's become known as because of its northern capital. And a line of kings come out of there which aren't from the line that God said they would come from, which is the tribe of Judah. So the southern kingdom becomes one of the house of Judah, house of Israel, house of Judah. And from there, Jerusalem comes King David and Solomon and Rehoboam and so on, Jehoshaphat. But from the north comes the, every one of them are wicked kings. King Ahab with Jezebel, his wife, is from there. Elijah, the prophet, prophesies. Elijah doesn't prophet, prophesy, you know, to Jerusalem ever. Nor Elisha, nor Amos. They may be mentioned here and there, but they are focused on the northern kingdom. And what happens? It becomes marred and it's carried away. And it seems to be that it's just lost forever. 100 or maybe slightly more, up to 120 years later, coming close to it. The Lord starts to speak through Jeremiah to the southern kingdom. He says, go to the potter's house. I want to tell you words there. I want to show you words. And this is our reading tonight. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. The molding. God doing all the molding. Now we see it's the marring. You see, what they did was they, they brought in other gods. They built heathen temples. They bowed at other altars. They allowed riches. The northern kingdom especially became profitable and rich. Didn't want God anymore. Wanted nothing to do with him. And it's in Amos chapter 4 and verse 12 where we hear Prepare to meet thy God. We hear it all the time in gospel messages. And that's true. Prepare to meet your God. That's true. But the rest of the verse was to the northern house. It says, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And it wasn't, oh, be glad and rejoice for he's coming. It is, I'm coming to judge you. I'm sending the heathen. A ravenous bird, he calls it. So we find it just over 100 years later. He sees this, Jeremiah sees the potter and the Lord says, look at what's happened to the house of Israel. It's been molded and it's marred. What hope has it? What hope has it? It's been lost. It seems it's out of shape. It's been marred. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. They forsook the law of God. They forsook the ways of the Lord. And now it seems like they are lost. Notice the grace. You ready? Personally, you might have a life that's marred. Said it last week, I'm going to say it again. That has went directions you never thought it would ever go. 
And your life has sunk the lows that you thought your life could never get to. And you feel like in the hand, as it were, of the potter, you have went wayward, backslidden, far away from God. There's no joy in your heart, no spring in your step, no love for Christ anymore. Maybe you've fallen away completely and into the world and you feel like you're the clay with the water that's buckled. You feel there's no hope for you anymore. Such, it says of the house of Israel in a national aspect, but listen. Notice what it says here in verse 4. Let's read this. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And I love it. Here's the grace. So he made it again. (laughs) He made it again. Aren't you glad that he's the God of the second chance? Aren't you glad that he's the God of a million chances? Oh, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. You see, you've answered the question I was going to ask you. The house of Israel had been marred. And it's away captive. And they migrate. And they come westward. And they're lost, as it said. It's, they're, they're gone. And they're lost to themselves. And lost to their own identity. And don't know who they are. And what happens? How does he make them again? Simple, he brings them to the cross of Christ through the preaching of the glorious gospel of grace. And he says, that's you, brother. And that's me, sister. And he says, you're marred. You're marred by sin. You're marred by lifestyle. You're marred. But I can make you all over again. I'm glad he's made me all over again. I'm glad his blood has washed me whiter than the snow. I may not be perfect, and I'm not what I should be, but I'm definitely not what I once was. <laughs> He's not finished with us yet. We're still on the wings, and sometimes it takes a bit of molding. Notice, notice this. So he made it again another vessel. It's the same lump, the same clay. It was the house of Israel gone, but he sends out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and they start hearing the word of God and the gospel. It's the same gospel that we're preaching tonight. It's the same message that our nation needs tonight. It's the same message that Ulster had preached all over And now people are more interested in entertainment. I'm more interested in disco balls and flashing lights. There's nothing beats the word of the Lord. Nothing comes close to the word of God. Notice here he says, So he made it again another vessel. The same lump, but a different vessel. In other words, he sent forth the apostles with the Holy Ghost, with the Word of God, with the gospel of saving grace. He sends forth the apostles. He sends them forth, and then people are saved. And then he finds other sheep, and they get saved. And he finds other sheep, And they get saved. And so it keeps going on. And it keeps going on. And it keeps going on. And so the potter 
has the clay and he's making it again all over. The only way that we could be made again, even as a nation, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Britain, all the, all, all, the whole of, of, of the West that's went so far away from our Christian roots, the only way we can be made again is if we turn back to Christ, turn back to the gospel and to the cross work that Christ has accomplished our different form, different vessel. Notice the old one. Jeremiah sees it marred under the law. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. Guilty as charged. And now he sends forth the word of grace. Here is Moses. Now here is Christ. You come to Christ. You come to Christ and he shows you grace. He gives unto thee grace. And he saves and he changes the vessel. Notice, it goes from blood on an altar in the Old Testament. The blood on the altar to appease the Lord. And now in the New Covenant, we're saved by blood on the heart. The hearts of men and women. On the souls of men and women. From an altar of wood. Not the altar of wood of the cross as such, but the altar upon our hearts. When we have accepted it. Listen, it's no good. It's no good, Israel saying, when we're coming out of Egypt, I'm, I'm going to slay the animal, as the Lord says. I'm going to put the blood in the bucket. I've even got the hyssop ready. And the death angel's coming through tonight. There's the blood, purposefully, fully shed. And I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to put it on the doorpost. Because when the death angel came, he looked for the blood. The Lord says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the blood had to be from the bucket applied to the doorpost. It's no good saying, I know Jesus shed his blood. I know Jesus died on the cross. I know Jesus paid the debt. I know he did all of these things, but I don't want his blood. The blood can stay there. No, by faith, the blood must be applied to the man and the woman that whenever that day of judgment comes, that they will not stand in judgment, but they'll be set free and declared righteous by the Father. Notice this. He made it again, and he made it another vessel. Notice what it says here. And he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter. As seemed good to the potter. Now, brothers and sisters, you you think today in some churches it was as seemed good to the man or to the woman. Or as seemed good to the denomination. This is how we do it. Uh, This is the ritual and the format that we go through. So I'm a good such and such. I'm not going to try and insult anyone, but this is a good, I'm a good, whatever the denomination is, and I'm good enough. Some years ago, I was asked to preach in a certain church it was uh, a denominational church, and I'll say which one it was. And the heard I was coming to preach, and the, the, the man, the, the minister was a saved man, but he was bound like this. 
He wasn't allowed to preach about the souls of men and women. He wasn't allowed to mention heaven and hell. And he wasn't allowed even to mention the blood. Maybe he could glibly skim over it, and, but don't put too much pressure on the people. So he asked me to come to preach, and he wasn't in the church long, and I says, now you know when I come, I'm going to preach. So if you're asking me, I'm going to preach. That's what I want you to do, because then I can blame you, he says. <laughs> I said, that's okay, I'll go. So he announces, <laughs> he announces that I was coming. This is the truth, it's true. And a certain section of a choir said, if he comes, we'll protest outside the church. Then they started saying things about my wife and about me, spreading rumors around the place where we live. They said I was an alcoholic. That's what they said. They see me all the time getting in and out of the wine store getting my drink. I've never touched a drop of alcohol from the day I got saved, by the way. Not one. <laughs> you want to hear what they said about my wife? It was even worse. <laughs> Dear blesses. She's not wearing a red top for nothing tonight, I'm telling you. <laughs> and this is the truth. Choir members. We'll stand outside because we want him coming in here to tell us about this. So the, the minister came to me and he says, look, are you still willing to come? I says, are you still willing to have me? Because you'll get into trouble. Are you willing to have me? He says, well, I'm willing to have you. I says, well, I'm willing to come. So I came and there was a bit of an uproar and they didn't want it to happen and Believe it or not, there's people came from the village and they filled the church who weren't even meant to be there because they'd heard about it. There was one man and the man came. His wife was saved and praying for him for years. And he says, no, I'm all right in my religion. And I preach Christ unto them. The man went home and couldn't sleep the whole night. And he got up in the middle of the night and he says to his wife, I need saved. <laughs> and the whole church was an uproar. And the, after I'd finished, when I was walking down through, the place was packed. I was walking down through. And there was hardly a soul would look at me preaching that sort of stuff in our church. You know what I preached? Jesus still saves sinners. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And listen, I went, my denomination is enough. A Protestant denomination. And I says, you'll die and go to hell if you're trusting in a denomination. I don't care whether you're Protestant or Catholic or who you are. If you're trusting in a denomination for your salvation, you'll die and you'll end up in a lake of fire. How did I get on that anyway? Let me get back to this. 
it seemed good to the potter. In other words, the, the, the gospel is that it's his sovereign will. It's his sovereign glory that he is sovereign over all others and over all things and he is the great potter and we are the clay. Now I see if Christ doth not come in power and glory before he returns in his spirit. If he doesn't send a great, I believe he will send a revival, but that's my personal belief. I'll preach on it sometime. I believe an Elijah ministry will raise sometime and God's going to send a great revival to our nation again before he comes. But listen. See, if Christ does not come down as the potter and start to mold and make the hearts of men and women, our nation's lost. Our people are lost. How does he make it and mold it again? Through the cross of Christ and no other way. Through no other way. So the house of Israel had went and only the gospel of saving grace could call him. Listen to what It says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, For us it seemed good to the potter, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. According to his mercy he saved us. God in his own sovereign will and right could have allowed every one of us to just go on down the road to death and to a lake of fire. He's sovereign, he can do what he wants. He can do as he wills. But with love, he came down. And he died in the person of his son. And he gave to us at the resurrection and the ascension, the Holy Ghost. And he saved us through the blood that Christ has shed. Mercy there was great. And grace was free. Listen, brothers and sisters, Ephesians 1 and 9, Paul speaks of that which is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So the promise of redemption, renewal, restoration, reconciliation, and hope for the backslidden nation or individual is found only at the cross through the preaching of the gospel. He says, cannot I do with you as this potter? United Kingdom, sometimes, I'm sure you're the same. I'm just talking personally. I I see United Kingdom. um, I see the way Ulster's going. Little, I'll put it, evangelical Ulster. It's getting worse than the rest of them sometimes. I see the way it's going. I see the way our young people are going. I see the apathy in the church. I see the, I, I, I mentioned this morning, the ecumenical movement of the church. I, I see all of that. I, I see, especially, sorry, possible, I see England and it's, it's in a state. Right, Say that because he's an Englishman, obviously, but. <laughs> it's a state. Scotland. It's a state. Listen, church. If God says the CET tonight for Ulster, as we look at our province, cannot I do with them as I done before? Cannot I remake the house of Israel? I believe He can. I believe He will. I believe so. 
So we have the potter's house. Secondly, we have a broken vessel, a potter's vessel. In chapter 19, we won't read too much for time is flying. Look what it says in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Go get a potter's earthen vessel and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priests and go forth unto the valley of, of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee and say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah. Notice southern kingdom, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle, because they have forsaken me, and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. And you can read on speaks about the worship of Baal and so on. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. So 18 he's going, the house of Israel are gone, but I'll remake them. I'll send forth the gospel. But to Judah, Jerusalem, their captivity is only going to begin. And he takes it. Look at what, read on down to verse 10. Then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee. Notice, break the bottle. This is the potter's vessel. Now shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people in this city. Not one, uh, pardon me, as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet until there be no place to bury. Notice, you can't remake this. What is he speaking about? What's he talking about? God says, I'm going to break you and you'll not be remade. Nebuchadnezzar came and took them away. The nation was broken. And do you know what happened? They came back again after 70 years. Isn't that right? And the Lord Jesus did come from that. Isn't that right? From that line. From that tribe. And listen, what does he mean? He broke them to pieces. And it's like you get in your pieces of something broken. You try to glue it together. It doesn't look right. Sure it doesn't. We always hear about a third temple in Jerusalem today. Now listen, they may try and build it. May try and build it. I'll be honest. Me personally, I don't support that. It's an abomination and an affront to the blood of Christ. You know why? Because chapter 18 tells us how they come through the cross. Through the cross. By the way, the third temple's being has been being built for the last 2,000 years. You're looking at it. (laughs) You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Not a temple made with hands, is not what he says. Notice this. We have the potter's vessel. Here's the shivers. When you break some, the breaks in the shivers. First of all, they're taken into captivity into Babylon. Next, the royal house of David, the king's line, it stopped there. And then, of course, it went on somewhere else. We'll talk about that another time. The Jews then, there were some who returned to Judea, as we spoke, after 70 years' captivity. There were those who were in dispersion from Babylon and then went on to the other ends, outermost parts of the earth. And then there were the Judaites who went down into Egypt. Who were they? Jeremiah went into Egypt. Jeremiah went into Egypt. I know who took into Egypt with him, the king's daughters. He took the king's daughters, Scotta and Tiatafi, into Egypt. 
shattered all over the place. And then, of course, they start sticking it together again. And the only good thing to come out was like out of Nazareth was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it was broken into pieces, wasn't it? Notice. In verse 11, Thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people in this city. As one breaketh a potter's vessel, that cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Tophet, until there be no place to bury. Thus will I do unto this place, saith the Lord. So you can see the two houses now, they're broken, they're gone. One's marred in a way, and the other one's shattered to pieces. And the only way they can come back together, because God talks about replacing the two sticks, one of Joseph, that was the northern kingdom, and one of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. He says, the two sticks shall be one. Where? In my hand, said the Lord. How can that happen? Well, who is the hand of the Lord? Who is the right arm of God? The Lord Jesus Christ. One in me. One in me. So these broken shards of pottery, sometimes the potter is making and vessels are broken, like it says. These broken pieces are taken outside and they had a designated special field and he threw the pottery out into the field. So through time it's buried in through the soil and into the ground. Will you turn with me to Matthew 27? I think you'll know where I'm speaking of here. Matthew 27, verse 3. I better wrap this up. Time's gone. Matthew 27, and verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, that's the Lord Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again 30 pieces of silver to, to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. And then you can read on from there. So they buy. What did they buy? They bought the potter's field with the blood money that Christ was betrayed for. And do you think that's there just for the sake of it? It is typifying of that day what the Lord had said in Jeremiah 19. Judas, or the Jew, the broken pottery, listen, and we haven't got time to read it but when you go home, read Matthew 13, and you read of the parables. There's the parable of the man sowing seed in his field. And when he's sleeping, the enemy comes and he sows tares among the wheat. And the Lord Jesus is telling them about this parable. And listen to what he says. He says he's sowing them in the field. And Jesus said, the field is the world. The field is the world. And where were the Jews dispersed to? The field. Like Judas Iscariot hanged himself and the money went to the field. The betrayer's money went to the field. The potter's field. And where was the shards of pottery? Where did they go? They went to the field, which is the world. Throughout all the countries, is not right? 
through every land. And sure, they were put out of countries all over the place. And you see how then they, they were ostracized and how they were treated. And I think of them whenever they say as of the blood of Christ, his blood be upon us and our children. And I think of the horrific pictures that we see. Can you see all of this now? The Lord's warning coming to pass. Cattle trucks full of people. Children. Horrific. It's horrific. So we have the potter's work, the potter's house, the potter's vessel, the potter's field. It's all to do with the potter's sovereignty. This is me finishing. This is beautiful. It is to me. Will you turn with me to John chapter 9, please? John's Gospel, chapter 9. Let's just, you know the story of this, but I just want to skip over this for time's sake. It's a man, blind from his birth. Verse 2, and the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did send this man or his parents that he was born blind? So the conversation goes on. Now notice this. When you get to verse 6. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. Said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came, saying. Notice this. Here is this blind man. Jesus, in verse 11, says, the man says, he said, and he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. Notice, Jesus spits in the clay. He takes his hands and he makes some clay. Here we have the water of the potter, the spittle. You know, Jesus is God, you know that. Here we have the clay. And he came to a marred vessel. He starts to wipe it on his eyes. The clay's starting to harden. He's like, go wash in the pit of Siloam. Just go and wash. Faith took the man to the pool. Christ applied as the potter the clay to fix the man. And when he goes and he watches, Jesus made new eyes for him. And he could see. I read that, I thought, Lord, you're beautiful. Lord, you are beautiful. Made new orbs. New orbs for a man that was blind. Wonderful potter. And we are the clay. I tell you, brothers and sisters, 
he said, a man. You read that chapter. I'm paraphrasing. Who done this? How did this happen? A man that is called Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? Listen, a denomination named such and such. <laughs> no, dear help us. A pastor called Ken. Get that out of your head. wasn't a queen. It wasn't a king in the earthly sense. It wasn't a, a, a prelate or a primate. It wasn't a pope. It wasn't a priest. It wasn't a pastor. A man that is called Jesus. He spat in the ground and he made clay and he made me new eyes. Amazing grace. I sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What a Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you've seen anything tonight, you've seen the sovereign work of God and the sovereignty of God. Everything is from him. You see, in this house, we believe everything, everything is from him. Every part of it is from him. May God bless to our hearts tonight. If you've seen it, I'll say this as me finished. D.L. Moody. Who's heard of D.L. Moody? Nearly all of us, I'm sure. So D.L. Moody, he was at the time of the great Chicago fire. He was a pastor there. His church is still there. And D.L. Moody was a great evangelist and he came over and he met up with Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Everybody's heard of Spurgeon? Yeah, okay. Uh, pardon me, he, he met up with a friend to go and hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Pardon me. And in the morning time, his friend takes, this friend takes D.L. Moody to hear uh, Joseph Parker. Anybody heard of Joseph Parker? He was a great orator, great preacher at the same time in London. So he goes to hear him, and on the way out, he says to Joseph, uh, or pardon me, the man says to D.L. Moody, well, Mr. Moody, what do you think? What do you think of this morning? D.L. Moody turns around to his friend and went, what a preacher. Wow, what a preacher. So that evening, they go to the Elephant and Castle in London, and they go to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon. After Spurgeon preaches with the great gusto and oratory that he brings on the way out, they're walking up the road and the man turns to D.L. Moody and he says, Mr. Moody, well, what do you think this evening? What do you think? And D.L. Moody turned to his friend and went, what a Christ. What a Christ. Oh, see, it's not about a preacher. It's about what a Christ. What a Christ. And God bless us tonight. God bless you for his name's sake. Amen.